Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. At Keystone Elder Law, it is our mission to shield the middle class from the costs and the challenges that come with getting older, and very often we're handling sort of the legal or financial side of of that uh, preparing for challenges, anticipating predictable challenges, whether it's just having a power of attorney that has asset protection in it, maybe updating your will, having a trust that is suited to your circumstances. And I teach people all about that once a week with free webinars. So if you go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab, you can get registered and take in some free education from the comfort of your own home. But regular listeners of this show know that this show is not about talking about legal concepts. It's about the full range of resources that you want to know about going into the later years of life. Maybe you're listening to this and what you're going to find today is, first of all, it's going to be fascinating. And I think, you know, for people of any age range in your family or your friend circle, what you hear today might be that missing resource that you were looking for. My guests today are experts in music therapy. My guests are Melanie Walborn and Kristen Beeman from I'm going to get I'm just going to use the website. It's wbmusictherapy.com. So this is WB Music Therapy. Melanie and Kristen, thank you for being here on the show. Thanks for having us, Patrick. Yes, thanks, Patrick. Well, it's I I find this topic fascinating and we had a, a conversation before going on the air and then that led me to more research, which was really astounding to me. I, I was vaguely aware of music therapy as a resource out there for people, but I didn't know the details. And I suspect a lot of the listeners don't know the details that they're going to take away from today. But let me just start with a, with a question. I, I belong to an alumni group. Uh, and this group goes into nursing facilities to try to break up the monotony, to um, provide a little bit of liveliness to the lives of people who are in those communities or facilities. And one of the most popular activities is they bring in this guy who I, I want to say he's in his late 20s, and he's a perfect Elvis impersonator. <laughs> and he really does a great job hamming it up. He, he'll put the scarves around the necks of the older ladies and then get down on one knee and sing right to them. And the look on their face, they're just on top of the world. You got to think there's the dopamine or happy chemicals going through their brain. Is that music therapy? It is fun and entertaining for sure, but it is not music therapy. All right. So let's talk about what sets music therapy apart from, I mean, as beneficial and fun as that is on a certain level, um, breaking up the monotony, just, you know, bringing some joy to a person's day. Music therapy has sort of a scientific basis. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. So even just kind of staying with the, the Elvis music, you know, this gentleman, as impersonator, his goal is um, to entertain um, and bring joy to the folks that are participating. There are chemical reactions happening in the body. Um, there's no, uh, nothing wrong with having that experience. So say a music therapist is working uh, in the same setting, we might be using Elvis music as well. However, I'm thinking about 
the, each individual in their group, what is the goals for them? What are their needs besides breaking up monotony of their life, their daily life, or to bring a smile to their face to get some enjoyment? Um, it's going beyond those types of uh, needs. We're looking at, um, are they having difficulty moving their body? Are they having difficulty expressing their feelings? And are they having difficulty connecting with other people? So we might use, um, let's say, blue suede shoes, for example. Um, it's got a real nice, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. Now, what does the brain want to do right there? It wants to go into the, the next lyric or the next change in the in the in the beat sure wants to say go cat go right (laughs) so we might use that as a way to help the brains catching on to that to leave that space for someone to to give you that response right where they might not be um, readily able to communicate verbally but musically they can come right in on that beat um, so that's just an example of how music's impacting the, the brain. The brain's responding to music in a way that it wouldn't necessarily if you had just said, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. Right. right. Yeah. Not the same buildup of tension and, and, and looking for... And we talked about this before going on the air. And studies in music therapy actually have found that you can see this on MRI imaging. Yes, So music is actually processed on both hemispheres of the brain. So when you have something that is affecting a specific part of the brain, the music is allowing to bypass that area and still be processed and able to elicit a response. So I'm sure people have had an experience where they maybe would know somebody with a stutter. And when they speak, they might be stuttering, but when they're singing, they don't hear the stutter anymore and that's because they're using more than just the speech center of their brain that's the workaround that's the workaround that music allows and 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 of course there are uh, whatever you're, you're identifying what you were saying is you you're, you have a goal going into a session where what is the particular challenge we're trying to overcome and then you're going to go about it you know looking at and, and if the challenge is not a stutter maybe it's more an emotional challenge well you know and, and I know this because you told me uh, before we, we went on the air that, you know, you are, certain emotions are tied specifically to music experiences. So that might be the tool you're using to access emotions or work through emotions. Absolutely. So, and I think what you were describing there, too, is, is sort of what you were, um, when we spoke before going on the air, you talked about that, you know, how our brains are sort of drawn to a specific kind of order or, you know, structure or repetition. And that's what you're using music as a tool to, to tap into that. Yes. I mean, in, in simple forms, think about how we learn our alphabet. Um, it is a tune that most Western music, you know, listeners are familiar with. And we could, you could often put new lyrics to that tune and you could remember that information much better than if you hadn't put it to that tune. Um, well, and how many listeners right now are, are in their head remembering a time when 
they had to say the alphabet, but they had to sing it in their head to, to get through a certain after about F, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, there's something to that. And this is something that the two of you as music therapists, I mean, it's you don't just hang a shingle and say I'm a music therapist because I like the guitar or something like that. There, there's some pretty rigorous coursework that goes into this. Absolutely. So as as Melanie was saying when she was giving that example of blue suede shoes, we know that those specific chords and where she stopped for you to want to say the go cat go, that's the kind of things that we're trained when we go to school is to learn the different chords and how it affects the brain and a, a wide gamut of responses that a client might have depending on the needs that they would be having coming into our sessions. So in addition to, um, of course, music classes, we also need to take psychology, biology, social behavioral sciences, and anatomy and physiology. Once we get our, our coursework completed, then we need to do 1,200 hours of clinical training in our field work. So everybody will do an internship with, there's a variety of different populations that we could be doing internships with. And after that, we would sit to take our board certification test to be credentialed through the Certification Board for Music Therapists, where we are an MTBC, Music Therapist Board Certified. Fantastic. And we will talk um, when we come back from a break about some of the settings where this science, this um, the, the ability to first assess what's the challenge, then think about how is music going to do that maybe the the workaround of a problem or help people through a problem. Uh, but that seems to be much of the curriculum and experience that that you have to bring to the table as music therapists. Um, and it's just some of the stories that uh, that I that I I was looking up before uh, we went we went on the air today. There's stories of music therapy. I mean, they'll make you cry, but there it talks about really stories of coping in certain circumstances. Uh, maybe hospice, end of life, stories of comfort, uh, sometimes just being able to express a message and to complete a life with dignity and with closure. And sometimes it's just if you figure people with, with cognitive decline like Alzheimer's, bringing out abilities that really seemed at that point to be completely lost. These are amazing stories. So we'll come back and we'll talk some more with Melanie Walborn and Kristen Beeman from WB Music Therapy. They can Their contact information can be found at wbmusictherapy.com. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are speaking today with Melanie Walburn and Kristen Beeman of WB Music Therapy. Their website is wbmusictherapy.com. And I, I referred before the break to, to stories of coping or comfort or expression or even maybe what, uh, what you were describing before the break as that sort of workaround to overcome uh, some challenge in the brain. But some of the stories I came up with, uh, a very active 17-year-old girl signed, sidelined by cancer. She can no longer be as active in sports and so forth. She was so sick in the hospital that she couldn't get out of bed. And then music therapy came along and introduced her to the ukulele. 
and she had no previous musical experience with this, but the therapist taught her a few chords. And then when the girl was too sick to even get out of bed or felt that way so she wouldn't get out of bed, the, the music therapist said, let's make a deal. Take a few steps out of bed and we'll learn a new chord. And then this this very sick 17-year-old girl said, I would forget during that hour that I was even sick, you know, while the music therapist was there. And and it became so much more than than motivation. It became uh, a coping mechanism. It became getting out of that feeling of inside your head, I'm so sick. That that strikes me as one of one pertinent way you might use mi- music therapy. But talk to me about some of the other settings other than uh, you know that might be one, but but what what other conditions or settings other than a hospital might somebody be in and benefit from music therapy? There are so many places that uh, board certified music therapists are um, meeting people at and having sessions in uh, people's private homes in their an outpatient office setting where. Parents are bringing children to come to after school. Um, perhaps they have a learning disability or have a diagnosis of autism. I specifically work in a assisted living facility and also have folks come to our office in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, I feel that the the good thing about 2024 is music therapy is really starting to be recognized the way it was intended to be recognized. So you might see a music therapist even in a prison who might be helping people cope with a large variety of feelings that they might be feeling there. Um, We also uh, do support groups for um, women that have breast cancer and are survivors of breast cancer. We have... um, like Melanie said, individuals with autism, whether that's a child, whether that's an adult. So there really is a, a wide range of people that we can work with because music really is the universal language, right? We all have some sort of connection to music in some way. Maybe it isn't the same kind of music, but there it's just that innate connection where someone is going to hear a song and they're going to want to elicit a response however that is or whatever their need is in that moment. And you probably understand that on a on a whole different level, having studied this in, in great detail about, well, if, if a particular chord is going to do something with emotions or it's going to light up a certain part of the brain, then maybe that has something to say on that sort of scientific level mm-hmm. about why it is a, a universal language. But I think everybody sort of intuitively gets what you just said, that it's it, so. So let's just focus on emotional um situations where, you know, someone in prison, well, uh, you know, that's a chaotic environment. There might be um, guilt or or shame. There might be all kinds of things that they're working through. Mm-hmm. Um, one that, of course, hits uh, home for, for what I do for a living in this show is the setting of hospice. And one of the stories I came across was, you know, that now we're talking people who are facing death. Maybe they're experiencing a whole lot of discomfort in the moment, uh, but music therapy allows them a, a measure of grace and dignity, and the family members in the room are put a little more at ease as they watch their loved one in that setting. They're anxious, and everybody can be sort of be set on the level. But I read one story about a patient um, who chose—so setting aside even just the the comfort part of it, 
he chose to to be expressive and and that was how he wanted to close out his life and it was a message of comfort in a sense for his family and he tried or or he chose to sing the song try to remember from the Broadway musical The Fantastics and he did this to send a message with these lyrics try to remember now I'm going to say it I'm not going to be able to break out in song like you did but <laughs> try to remember and follow without a hurt the heart is hollow Deep in December, it's nice to remember the fire of September that made us mellow. And that, you know, gave him comfort, I think, in, in that he could have that closure on that realization that, yes, there is hurt, but but there's meaning to that and and give that message to his family. So hospice and, and dealing with all of the emotions there might be another setting. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a beautiful uh, story, Patrick, that really mm-hmm. is. And and I've had some experiences um, working in the hospice setting, um, specifically recently, uh, with the family. So it isn't always just with it, one individual who's in this um, end-of-life experience, but it is a whole family um, experience as well. And not every family gets along, right? And so that compounds this end-of-life situation, um, so music can be, the music therapist, it m- can be a way to draw people together to help the person experiencing death, the onset of um, dying here, a way to bring some closure, um, whether um, specifically in this case with their daughters. Um, they... I knew ahead of time that there was conflict between the siblings and their mother's wish she had expressed to me was that my girls will come together during this time and it won't be an, a time of conflict because it's already going to be difficult enough. So I set a, a time up for everybody to be together and I could sense the uh you know, the guardedness, they were willing to come together. However, I could, using a song or a hymn that that family sang together growing up, we could sing that together, all of us on the bed with the mother, her two daughters. I'm keeping myself um, at a distance where I'm not where it's, you know, their personal unit, family unit, I'm supporting my job is to support and, and provide the, uh, the environment of music singing um, it as well. And, of course, tears arrive as they sing, as they hear their mother sing. I can see eye contact being established between the mother her two daughters, between the two sisters, hands being held. You know, that connection, I can't say for 100% would not have happened without that experience being um, set up for them. But I do know that that opportunity was something that the mother was so grateful for and so... Um, you could see that sense of ease that had come across her and even her daughters. Doesn't mean that their relationship was healed forever, but we educate the family that this is 
this is for mom, this is her time, and if we can set aside the conflict and use music to be this, you know, uh, let's say a, a ribbon that connects all of us right now, it's much safer. It feels easier to do than talking. And it does bring up the emotion and, and the feels and bring us back to times where things weren't so contentious in the family. And I'd like to think that the, you know, it, it would have been totally inappropriate in that moment, but if there were an MRI uh, imaging going on at that time, it would show those centers of the brain of anxiety and conflict. They're not lit up, that you've drawn the energy somewhere else. And and yes, I think you, you facilitated something that was, and, and what a gift to the mother and to the daughters, because there's a lot of grief going on already before the actual loss. And you would think that for people who have, are, you know, maybe they lost someone a year ago, that some form of music therapy might do an awful lot of good in processing or, you know, you never get over the loss. Grief, grieving is a, a uh, you know, rest of your life process, but boy, what a tool that might help them. And music you know, we we talk about all of the times where it makes us feel good, but there is times where it is appropriate to not feel good, where it's appropriate to feel sad, where it's appropriate to cry. So this is where we can use music as that catalyst for discussion. Maybe somebody who's having a difficult time expressing their grief or expressing their fear of losing um, a family member, where it's a safe place where they can you know, participate in something we like to call a lyric analysis where they're listening to the lyrics of a song that the music therapist has specifically picked for that person and their needs in hopes to elicit those feelings so they can have time to express it. Even if it's not happiness, but it still needs to be expressed and worked through. And then that music allows us to bring it out to the surface and then help the client process through it. Right. Yeah, and, and I think um, this this has application in uh, not just hospice or end of life, but palliative care, which uh, we just recently had an excellent episode with uh, someone from UPMC on palliative care. And just look, your your whatever you have, or even the symptoms of the treatment, you know, it might be limiting your life in some way. Well, this might be a way to address those limitations head on. And um, and you were talking about some of the specific uh, tools like lyric analysis, and there's there's some others. There's there's movement with music. There's actual you know you know the playing the ukulele or or using some other uh, actual music uh, instrument. And I'd like to go into that a little bit, but let's let's take a break and then come right back to what a, an actual session might look like. Now that we've talked about some of the settings where it might be useful, and boy, the list goes on and on. Uh, But we'll come back and talk some more with Melanie Walborn and Kristen Beeman of WB Music Therapy. Their website is wbmusictherapy.com. You can find their contact information uh, there. But we're listening today to the uh, Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, about music therapy. More in a moment. This is News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, and we are speaking today 
about music therapy, and my guests are Melanie Walborn and Kristen Beeman from WB Music Therapy. Their website is wbmusictherapy.com, and you can find more information uh, about them there. Um, you know, and we're about to talk about some of the what what the actual music therapy session would look like. And I and I shared earlier, you know, how I was just sort of blown away by some of the the stories of of how music therapy has been a breakthrough. And we've talked about someone making an expression uh, in the the final hours, perhaps, of of his life, and another person who going through cancer treatment, where it was more of a coping or a comfort mechanism that even allowed the person to get out of bed. Um, I I saw another story about uh, a patient with Alzheimer's disease, which I see all too much of in the practice of elder law. And this was a person, I've seen this person before, not this particular person, but I've seen this. They're, they're speaking in, in a single word here and there, mumbling it. Uh, they're unaware of their surroundings, uh, certainly unable to tend to her own uh, personal needs. But when visited by a, a music therapist, she sings in words that can be clearly understood and with perfect melody and emotional expression it's like a whole different person. Her face brightens. She makes eye contact with the therapist. That's bringing out something, you know, on the level of the brain that, you know, you thought was gone, lost and gone forever. But how? talk to me about what a music therapy session might look like. You know, you're doing that initial assessment. That, you know, what's the problem? What, what are we trying to accomplish? Then what does it look like from there? So I think it depends. Um, Every session is unique because the sessions are always tailored to the individuals that are part of them. So you could have a group session. You could have an individual session. Um, Of course, ideally, um, the session would be held. um, I'm just going to use an assisted living facility as an example. It might be held in the community room. If it was a group, it might be held in the individual's room. I have had experience with people that are having an experience with sundowning, which typically happens a little bit later in the afternoon, early evening, where the session is in the hallway walking with them because that is what they are doing in that moment. And maybe that is the the setting is we're walking. I'm pacing the halls with it. I had an experience with an individual who... Um, she was transitioning into this facility. She didn't know where she was. She was upset. And as she's walking the hallway, she's asking, where am I? She's speaking one word answers. After I got to know her a little bit, I understood that she really enjoyed the song Blueberry Hill. Uh, came back the following week. She was doing the same thing. I put the song on for her. She recognized me because of the song threw her arms around me, started dancing with me. And she verbally said, that I'm so grateful for you more than you know. And the staff were there. I mean, she she was saying one word phrases. So to be able to hear her say that was something. So that's where her music therapy session took place, was in the hallway, walking with her. That's amazing. It, it, but if let's say it's in the the, the group setting mm-hmm. um, and you talk you referred to this in a in a before a break, you talked about lyric analysis. Mm-hmm. You talked about what are some of the techniques you might use with that group once you've identified the the problem to be solved. What are some of the techniques you're going to use? Sure. Um, typically, I open a group session with um, an opening song, a song that we're going to sing every time. This helps kind of structure the. Um, okay, we're setting up. 
wherever I'm at, I introduce myself every week, even though I've gone to the place every week for four years at the same time. It's my name's Melanie. Today is Tuesday, two o'clock. Music with meaning. My name's Melanie. Hello. I see each person's name. They're always um, ecstatic that I know their name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we open up a song just to get um, people a little more comfortable and and let them know. You know, we might play it. Let them know what's happening. Uh, we're gonna sing some songs today. We might talk about. Um, just last week, for example, the um, time period between winter and spring, where it can be uh, kind of a little more depressing, um, gloomy. And we talked, uh, we might play some instruments, and oftentimes people are apprehensive about that. I don't know how to play anything, you know, and so I'm not going to ask you to do anything I don't think you can do. And if you don't want to play, you don't have to play. I wondered about pushback. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I set the instruments up in, um, I tie a little bag to everybody's chair and it's already set up. And whether they're set up in a semicircle or in um, staggered rows, it depends what I'm doing. Um, I'm bringing folks closer to me that I know have trouble seeing or hearing Um, I'm giving folks that maybe play things repetitively, um, a softer sounding instrument, um, because that's, if I didn't, it was going to aggravate other group members and it breaks the group dynamic down because we've got folks with all different levels of, um, cognitive, cognitive abilities. So we do an opening song, everyone's singing, we sing along, and I typically go into a movement experience where we're getting, yeah, you know, we're going to get our music, we're going to get the blood flowing through our body, the oxygen uh, pumping through the blood a little more, and it's helpful, I find, that I share what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, um, instead of just coming in, like, doing something to someone. It is, um, I think it, it's important to be respectful of the people you are um, engaging with. Um, I'm grateful that they came that day and allowing them as much independence as possible because that is a, a big part of the experience from moving out of a home you may have lived in your entire life. Yes. Coming into this new space, living with strangers in a, in an apartment setting, essentially. And um there's a loss of control. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I really try to think about how how can I do that? How can I set the session up so that con- control and element of choice is part of that at all times? Um, then we will do some music, some patterning, so that we start off simple, even if it's just tapping our toes to a beat. We add in a clap after that. I'm modeling those movements throughout it. I'm up moving around helping those who can't initiate that on their own without some maybe physical cues or prompts. Um, Then we may go into a songwriting about that topic. I was talking about this kind of dreary time period between a winter solstice and and spring equinox and having a conversation about you know what what have you been feeling lately 
maybe there's not a lot of sunlight coming into this neighborhood, which in this particular neighborhood there wasn't. There's not a lot of windows in there, and they're not getting outside them. So they're expressing, oh, typically feeling down or have the blues. You know, it's, I find that um, older adults tend to not talk about their feelings as much. It is um, a... Well, especially if they're in among strangers. Exactly. And there's, you know, feeling vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we get, you know, we, we encourage, um, give positive feedback and af- affirming what they're saying. And then we might choose a familiar tune and I can, you know, train to put the words that they're giving into the song um it was a song button up your overcoat um and was able i can type the words onto the computer and it shows up i have it attached to a bit you know a big screen tv so they're seeing it right there we get a verse done we we can have some fun we might um we had a little lyric there about um not wanting to get our nose swabs anymore and how about we wanted covid to you know hit the road no doubt yeah (laughs) let's let's take a break there and and come back for more uh after a break with melanie walborn and Kristen beeman of wb music therapy their website wbmusictherapy.com you're listening to the later in life planning show sponsored by keystone elder law on news radio whp 580 it's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. I'm speaking today with Melanie Walborn and Kristen Beeman of WB Music Therapy, WBMusicTherapy.com. And we're talking about all of the applications where music therapy has a, a scientific basis that can make breakthroughs for all kinds of challenges in the later years of life. And that's really what this show is all about. I mean, something you might not have thought of as a resource, and now you're hearing uh, vivid stories of not just the techniques, but the breakthroughs that that music therapists can have. One one story I looked at, um, Melanie and Kristen, before uh, coming to the radio station today, there was a, a guy who went through, because of his medical condition, repeated surgeries, repeated invasive testing, he got to the point where he had been bedridden for so long that he had to work to learn how to walk again. He had to develop gait training. And it wasn't just the physical therapist. It was along with a music therapist. And the breakthrough for him was learning his gait and learning to walk again to the rhythm of one of his favorite Justin Timberlake songs. Hmm. So there's just like a whole music catalog full of tools that you might uh, use. Uh, but that's that sounds like a, an example where... The music therapist assessed who who is this person and what's going to help them along with another professional. So uh, you you told the story of meeting uh, someone, a resident of assisted living in the hallway. That's that was the the place this was going to happen most effectively. You've talked about in a group setting and maybe helping them physically to uh, to start with what the group was doing together. Um but you know, to talk to me more about you know some of, of what you're doing and what you're looking for as the outcome. Once you're doing these things, what what's a signal that it's working or that you're you're having a breakthrough of some sort? Yeah, we we have to do a lot of training to really be assessing 
who we're working with and all of the little nuances that we might be seeing on their face or their hands and their legs and looking for tension in their body to really know are they connecting with the music? Is it too loud? Is it too soft? Is it a song that is triggering them to think of something negative? Um, I was wondering about that. You know, if it brings back absolutely. memories of loss so intense. Like that was my, I was married to my spouse for 60 years and that was our song. And it's exactly. just too much for them. Exactly. And I think that that is where it's extremely important to make sure that you have a music therapist with a degree who is board certified, who is doing this work, because we are trained for when that happens, because it does happen to know how to help that person out of it. Whereas somebody who, like, you know, going back to when we were talking about the Elvis entertainer, if there's somebody who would have a negative connection to an Elvis song and might be having some sort of anxiety about hearing it, we would be able to either remove them, change the music, and help them through it. Whereas somebody else would be like, ah, I don't really know yeah, what to do. And now you just created more work. Yeah. Right, you created more work for the staff that are there as you just get up and leave and you're supposed to be bringing entertainment to them. Right. So there is an element that you have to be able to look for the negative, the possible negative effects of it as well. Right, because that's one in all of the stories that I read through in preparation for this conversation. The one theme was the rest of the staff who might be other professionals who are working with that uh, older adult will say it doesn't have to be an older adult, but they all notice improvements in mood. Mm -hmm. They, you know, improvements in, in wow, uh, cognitive even, cognitive function, uh, they're noticing improvements. So you want to leave them that way, you know, right. you want to have made that that positive change. But you're looking for things like physically their their posture or their the, the tension, the look on their face, things yes. like that. Even if even just staying within the group, you yes. know, I have um, there's folks that are are just constantly walking and pacing um, seemingly aimlessly and anxious Mm -hmm. chronically throughout the day and you know before I go into uh, visit groups I review their each person's um, chart and I can see what's been going on in their day in the past week here and if I'm reading um, you know they've been uh, combative with staff to change or to bathe or to get out of bed to eat or they haven't sat down for over 48 hours wow um i i know this information i'm gonna set up do the best i can and think of some ideas how can i engage them to come to the group and stay in the group and it's a rest for them it's also a rest for the staff um how can we help the staff um, have some, have some respite as well. Um, it's important for us to keep in good communication with, with the people that are working with folks 24 seven. Right. And you mentioned earlier, I, I, right at the beginning of the show that you sometimes work with people in their homes. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a family member listening to this might think finally my, uh, you know, adult child with autism or with, uh, maybe a mental health problem or just going through, uh, a physical problem, whether it's cancer or just uh, some form of physical pain, 
this might be the answer. So if yes. they if they if they go to wbmusictherapy.com and they get in touch with you, what's the kind of information you would want to gather from the family to have that same dynamic where the family has an easier time of things. They're happier. They're re- more relieved because they see the progress. What what kind of information would you want to know? We, of course, would want to know their um, personal history information, wh- what exactly they are looking to achieve through music therapy, strengths, um, specific needs, songs that they may connect with, songs that maybe they really do not like, even as simple as a genre that they don't care for. So we wouldn't come in and and use that kind of music. Um, The family involvement, um, if it was an older adult, uh, previous occupation, um, involvement from children, any conflict in the family, all of that is really important for us to know. We want to know as much about the whole person, not just you know, the quote unquote problem that they're looking for. Sure. And and we've had episodes with people who go into the home as home care or home health, uh, even just um, a physical therapist who meets the person in the home. And so you want, may, might want to know other professionals, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. who am I collaborating with on this team? Yes. And sometimes uh, the first time I meet someone, I don't bring all of my gear mm-hmm. in because it can be um, overwhelming. And if I... If someone perhaps is, was a, um, you know, I've come across as a, a very prestigious pianist performance player, um, me to bring in my guitar first would, isn't a good idea in my mind from just my experience. Um, the piano is, is it for mm-hmm. that person, R- right. right? And if I... If I bring in a little Casio keyboard, that that's kind of offensive to someone who had played on a grand piano their whole life, right? Right. Um, or a flutist who I, I can just bring in a recorder and be like, oh, they're going to have fun with this. Mm-hmm. It is kind of degrading to them to, to for you, you know, to have brought that in. And right. we're, we're not only using, you know, those kinds of instruments that most people would think of, you know, piano, guitar, or flute. We might be bringing in something that, like we have foot tambourines, that if they slightly tap their foot, they would be able to play a tambourine. If it's something where they're really trying to work on um, motor skills or gait training. So it's a variety of different instruments that we use. Just depends on what exactly we're looking to achieve. And And does the, let's say, the family member at home... Just to, I think you answered this earlier, but do they have to have played a musical instrument to get any benefit? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. I it it doesn't take any musical talent to participate in music therapy. Okay. Yeah, we were sure to tell people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how much of it is is the um, the instrument versus singing? I think that it depends. Um, you know, I've definitely had people that say, well, I don't want to sing because I'm not a good singer. Um, that would be me. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's a little bit easier to um, accept an instrument and play that way. But again, it depends on the goal that we're trying to achieve. Sure. This has been really thought-provoking. I hope the listeners are getting all kinds of ideas of how music therapy might fit into their lives. Melanie and Kristen, thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Please tune in for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, next week at the same time, right here on News Radio WHP 580.